You're listening to the British Baseball Podcast. And uh, I think we'll now move on to some of our listener questions. Uh, we, we had uh, well quite a, a large response off the bat of the announcement of the show coming on. So it's, uh, I did send you these in advance to hopefully um, give you a bit of an idea of what's coming your way. And I'd like to say as well that um, the gentlemen have agreed to um, like a competition to sort of whichever the, the two questions that they like the best. Um, Joel from um, Four Bases uh, has agreed to to give away uh, two copies of his publication to the to the best questions um, and the proceeds of those are going towards charity so even if you don't win there's still opportunities to to get hold of a copy of his of his book it's in pdf format at the moment because it's sold out and look at look for joel on four bases on twitter and all the links are in there too so we'll start off with with charlie bay though who is a player for the um sheffield bruins he says how do you think baseball in britain should progress Josh. Yeah, uh, I think, you know, there are a lot of really great people in both the GB setup, folks like Liam Carroll and Will Lintern, and, you know, on the more sort of administrative side, people like John Boyd, who uh, care deeply about the development of the sport. I am a firm believer, and this is a paraphrase, if you build it, they will come, uh, that really an emphasis on facilities are essential the more fine pitches that you have in the UK, I think the more players you're going to get. And what you really need are a way to attract the best athletes. And that's what we've seen throughout all of Europe. The places in Europe where baseball has grown the most are places where you can get the top athletes. The highest ever signing bonus for a European player was a player by the name of Martin Gasparini, who uh, was from Italy. Martin was an amazing athlete. He chose baseball over football, which he could have easily played in a couple of other sports where he could have been high class, but he chose that. And we need to get our British athletes to look at baseball as an opportunity in the same way. Yeah. There's a little all-star game hopefully taking place as well. The MLB guys that Max Whittle's been, been arranging, I think they're playing the London team. So uh, I think it's Mika Richards who used to play for Man City and Aston Villa. He's going to be playing that. So if he gets transferable skills, if he still is in Manchester, I'll try and poach him back. Well, it's fascinating. You know, a number of years ago, uh, John and I were both involved. Marcus Trescothic as part of his, uh, his final year, uh, his tribute year. He put together a, a baseball game against the GB national team, which I had the opportunity to play. And it was a pretty good side of cricketers. Wouldn't you agree, Johnny? I mean, actually, Giles was on that yeah, team. Yeah, Garen Jones. You know, some of the 2005 Ashes boys were all there. Um, and they were still just, relatively in their prime. This was 2007, 2008, something like that. Yeah, because JC, uh, that w- was his testimonial year. It wasn't his yeah, final sorry. year, but it was his sorry. testimonial year, which he was awarded after 10 years with the county, which right. was some, you know, some sort of legend. Uh, I think he's still playing. If he, if, he, if he isn't, he's literally just quit in the last year. I think he may have just quit last season. So, I mean, th- th- that's how long he, what a legend he is. It was an interesting game because we won by a vastly large margin. And it's a reminder that baseball is a real skill-specific game. I mean, cricket obviously has a lot of overlap with baseball, but it requires really good coaching. And that's why I sort of speak to the coaches that they have in Great Britain right now. Uh, you just need a ton of them also at the club level, guys like Drew Spencer with the London Mets, who really know the game and can teach it because 
yes, you need the athletes, but also you need to have the coaching to be able to fine tune those skills for. But buddy, if you remember, because I do remember this well, because I was doing all the uh, the 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 um, you know commentary while you were playing. The the English boys, the, the the Somerset cricketers, were meant to have some coaching from you British baseball boys. I think they had like two three sessions set up, and I don't think any of them happened. So I don't think they took it seriously enough, and then they got their asses spanked. And being you know top level professional sportsman, I know for a fact because I've been working for Ashley for ten years and his lovely wife Stina. Um, so I know Ash really really well, and he said they they were hurting. They hated the fact that you absolutely came them. And, but at the end of the day, they only had themselves to blame because they didn't take the tuition that they needed and they clearly needed. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, John McKellar of the Wildcats and Bagpikes podcast up in Scotland has asked, have either of you uh, experienced baseball in Scotland? And if so, what are your memories of it? I, uh, I went up and did a, a event in Paisley uh, one time uh, many years ago. And it was a great experience. I mean, I love the Scottish people. I don't even think Johnny and, and Eric know this, but I, I own a flat in Perth, uh, Scotland. Oh, yeah, you told me, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I yeah. never knew that. So, uh, you know, I, I, love, I love that part of the country. Uh, you know, as if and when I get to spend more time there, hopefully I can be involved with baseball. But I've interacted with a lot of people who play baseball there, and, and you know, I really respect and appreciate uh, the efforts there. I, I have a very limited experience of baseball in Scotland. Uh, the only thing that I can tell you about is that my girlfriend, Louise, is Scottish. And I went up there and she clouted me around the head with a baseball bat once. And that's, that's pretty much full experience, I'm afraid. Great form, though, right? Technique was perfect. I tell you, that girl <laughs> Great finish. <laughs> got, got a lot, great launch angle on your skull. <laughs> just think, I just realized I just said that girl could swing. That's possibly not what I meant, but there you go. No. <laughs> Hopefully she's not listening. <laughs> Love you, baby. <laughs> uh, Eric, you had any experience up in Scotland? Well, funny enough, uh, during the baseball off season, uh, every year I have to go up to Scotland and work on the BBC Scotland coverage of curling. Yay. Yes, that's right. I'm the, I'm the uh, by default because I'm Canadian, and uh, apparently I was the only one in the in London who knew the rules, let alone even watched it once. Uh, compared to my other colleagues, they made me they make me go up to Perth, of of all places, uh, to uh, to help produce the, um, the 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 curling coverage. So I know all the curlers in Scotland, but I don't actually. But I do get people who come to watch the curling who say, "You're the guy for the baseball." I say, "Yes, I am." Do you stay in Josh's flat? While you're no, 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 no. I will now. I will from now on. I'll trash the place too. So. It, it, it is not a coincidence that uh, Eric was in Perth and that I've purchased there. That is the home of the World Curling Federation, a sport that I uh, now compete in at a reasonably serious level. That's right. Josh is, Josh is now, yes, he's better at baseball than me. Now he's better at curling than me, but I'll just stick on the uh, behind the camera side. Yeah, I think someone's actually asked a question about curling as well, so we'll get to that in a little while. Uh, I love Perthshire as well. I got lost near the... Um, the mystical forest or the magical forest around there nightmare sat navs don't believe that place exists but it's a beautiful part of the world it really is yeah, yeah you've got to yeah. you've got to stop eating mushrooms matt that's the problem <laughs> I, don't, I don't like mushrooms eat fried haggis yes yeah oh yes yeah fun enough to do that in salford um it's it's just great it's just loads of batter not much uh <laughs> not much anything else staple diet around there um david hayes uh from off of twitter uh, hayes unit would like to say with so many excellent podcasts out there how will your show stand out from the rest probably by its lack of professionalism 
Um, just look at us. Excessive enthusiasm. Um, good hygiene. Good. <laughs> Maybe not stand out. <laughs> High cholesterol count. Yeah. No, I mean, um, I, you know, we're very lucky that we 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 obviously have. Um, there's a recognition factor from what we did with Channel 5. Um, so there's a, a lot of people out there that obviously hopefully will tune in for that reason, if that reason only. Um, we're incredibly lucky that we are best mates and therefore the chemistry is, is good. Um, we've, we've obviously had extensive broadcasting experience, which, which will be relevant to, to any kind of podcast, which at the end of the day is just another form of broadcasting. Um, and thank God for Eric and I, we've got somebody who actually knows baseball inside out. So when it's all going tits up, we'll just throw to Josh. <laughs> and when are you expecting the podcast to be launched? I think the next boys, you might, it's this, yeah, 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 it's um, July the nineteenth. I think it is, isn't it? Next weekend. Which is yeah. a week to today. Uh, well, sorry, what, what day is this? Uh, tomorrow, be July nineteenth. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Right. Support so, any kind of people. Um, Ian Bleasty, Liverpool Trojans general manager. What's your favourite game uh, on the broadcast that you did? And Ooh. did you expect? Oh, oh yeah, he sent two questions in. Yeah. I, I, well, boys, I always think I'm. I think I always remember my favourite game was the um, um, was the D-backs game seven. It was the Yankees, I think, wasn't it? When, That's right. Um, with um, Gonzalez, Randy Johnson, you got uh, Kurt Schilling with the, the blood in the sock. I mean, it was just it was such a thriller. It was such, do you remember that? I mean, everybody said it was the Yankees to lose and. I mean, I, I just remember it was just edge of the seat stuff. So I've always remembered that one. It was, it was always, it's also, it's like that film script. It's, it's, the, it's the last game, seventh game in the World Series. And, you know, it's that sort of, oh, if they wrote this in a movie, no one would believe it. But uh, it was pretty special. I mean, we saw a lot so, of... So, wait, wait let's, let's, let's clarify here, Gouldy. You said Randy Johnson and the D-backs first, and then you talked about a bloody sock. And I was just going to say. So you've now conflated two games in your magical mystery of baseball world. Three years apart. Three years apart. My God. Because hang on, because they, they had the ultimate um, double bill in terms of their, their Yeah, that was 2001. 2001. That was 2001. Yeah, which was, was great. And that Schilling. was the Yankees. I think that's what you're talking about. Yeah, that was the one. But I'm then thinking. Kurt Schilling. Well, that wasn't the sock. The, the, the bloody sock, sock is, is, is 2004. Okay. That, to me, uh, game four of the World Series in 2004 was uh, my highlight. I did some broadcasting for Channel 5 before the game and uh, got to interview Johnny Damon right before the game to do some bits for Channel 5. But then I broadcasted it for BBC Radio 5 Live with Simon Brotherton. So rather than doing the studio show that Johnny and I did, because uh, David was, was doing it at the time, David Langell, uh, I did the actual uh, summarizing with, um, with Simon Brotherton. And I grew up a huge Red Sox fan, in particular in the 80s, where with the exception of uh, their heartbreak 1986 loss to the Mets, they were a very mediocre team. Uh, you know, the 90s were very forgettable for the Red Sox. And of course, anyone who's a baseball fan knows about the curse of the Bambino. So to be able to be on the radio live when the Red Sox broke the curse, uh, it was a lifetime achievement. Uh, and to be doing it in that format too, where you're part of the actual play-by-play -play, uh, was all the more exciting for me. Eric, any of your favorite memories? Uh, it's funny. The, the one memory I have of a, a crazy game that we broadcasted, uh, people still, uh, it, it was it was a it was a mid-August game. It was between the Cleveland Indians and the Seattle Mariners. 
nothing really to play for. There wasn't really any playoff implications like uh, that that followed it or anything. But it was one of those games that we. I'm not because it was the top of the eighth, and it was something like ridiculous. It was uh, it was Seattle leading like fifteen to two, and I remember thinking, okay, this game's over. And and by the bottom of the ninth, we're already calling our cabs. Uh, we were, our assistants already booking cabs for us because we're going to go off air pretty soon within one inning. And next thing you know, the cabs are outside at the top of the ninth inning and um, it's 15 to 10. And somehow it went to extra innings and somehow Kenny Lofton uh, slid into home, end the game, and it was the most thrilling non-event game that, that that was originally tipped that I think we ever broadcasted. And people were still talking about it for days afterwards. People who shut down after the eighth inning said, ah, oh, this game's done. They they saw the highlights the next day and said, oh, my God, I can't believe I turned it off at that point. That that reminds me, actually, of the 2002 World Series in Game 6 between the Angels and the Giants. And the Giants were winning by a large sum, so much so we thought it was going to be the end of the World Series. And I can neither confirm nor deny, but we might have had a few sips of some lager, uh, you know, because we thought it was the end of the season and we were right near the end. And then all of a sudden the Angels came back, they won that game, and they, we had a whole other, you know, Game 7 uh, in 2002. Awesome. I think we were a bit worse for wear, weren't we, towards the end of that? So if I remember, perhaps, I think we perhaps. may have had a couple of early sherbets, perhaps a little bit uh, premature. Not that it, it made any difference to the total lack of professionalism anyway. I, I, think, I think it elevated our performance, Goldie. <laughs> Not exactly difficult. Good question, yeah. though. like that one. Yeah, he also asked, uh, did you expect to find much camaraderie with the UK baseball fan base, and what does it mean to you to still be remembered so fondly? Well, I've just had a career of failure, so to have something that's deemed a success and to to, uh, to still to this day meet people ten years after, let alone the children of viewers, um, I just I just feel blessed to be honest. Um, in terms of what it means, it, as the boys have said, um, no matter you know, I mean, thankfully uh, you know my, my career hasn't exactly been the most successful, but I, I look back on it and uh, and I do truly believe. Um, that uh, there are very, very few people in my line of work that can look back with such amazing uh, affection and fondness for an experience and, uh, and to still have people coming up now all these years later. How, how often have I gone and refilled my car with petrol and this poor, some lonely soul who's sitting there watching some rubbish on the TV and immediately strikes up a conversation about the great old days when he used to sit there through the night um, taking people's money, watching the baseball. It's great. Fantastic. Amazing. What always comes to mind is what an honor it was for me. I know that uh, both Johnny and Eric did interact with the greater uh, community out in the field, but I played baseball in the domestic league for better part of six seasons. And so, and there were a lot of good players who I played with a lot of smart baseball people, but to be the one who got to go on TV and talk about the game to the broader community, it was just such an honor to, to be chosen to be that person, to be the player who speaks on behalf of the game. Uh, I considered it not only an honor, but a responsibility too. And I always tried to be prepared as a result and never talk down to the audience, uh, but offer whatever wisdom and knowledge I had about the game. And uh, again, it was just an honor to be that, that guy. Yeah. Eric? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, for me, it was, it was not just an honor, but it was, it was humbling, actually. Humbling is just, you know, to be recognized and, 
to be thanked. Uh, but but I, when anytime I would go to a baseball event in Slough or Farnham and, and people would come up to me and say, would you sign my baseball? I said, I, said, I can't do that because I'll devalue your baseball if I sign it, you know, it's, uh, 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 and so they, they insist on it and, and it's very humbling. And I, and I, and I, and I thank every single one of them that, that, that do approach me and say, thanks for the programming. I, I told this story uh, somewhat recently when uh, Goldie and I were uh, talking with another uh, podcaster, but I think it's worth repeating and just speaking to how important our show was to some people. I, when I was broadcasting for BT Sport, the uh, London series, a woman came up to me and asked to take a picture. I said, great. And so we were taking the picture. She said, my dad who's passed away would have been really pleased to have seen this picture. And I, I don't think there was any moment that's ever touched me more than that in my professional uh, career, just that we matter to people out there on some level. Uh, it just, like Eric said, it's humbling. Uh, you know, we're just three schlubs, you know, just three guys trying to get through this world and that we could mean something to anyone in any manner other than our family is just uh, beyond expectation, I think, for any of us. Yeah, great answer. Lovely. Uh, Joel from Four Bases um, has said, how does the sport grow in the UK from where we are now? Sport's main channel of growth, in his opinion, uh, are people who run the fan accounts on Twitter and create a UK MLB community. The NFL has NFL UK, which drives the international series and events. So how does baseball in the UK get into that? I mean, my, my view on it is that... Um having having a uk presence on tv i mean bt sport do a great job with showing loads and loads of baseball um if you have the espn bt sport channel but there's no uk flavor on it and and i do think that you know indicative of what we've been talking about and and, and why the, the the show still to this day resonates is that it was a, a product that people love and are passionate about and want to watch but they want it from their unique perspective i.e., a uk perspective so i do think that having that is really is is vital if that's uh, a way forward i'm a great believer listening to what josh said if if you build they will come so there has to be the financial investment where does that come from and to be honest also unless you can get kids playing baseball in school and even and, and i know that there's quite a lot of softball that goes on which is a great start just swinging a bat and, and loving it and enjoying it um you know th th that's where it all starts if, if you can get kids playing um, and playing at that sort of absolute grassroots level but that does require investments it requires it requires the facilities it requires coaches that are dedicated enough to spend weekends i mean i've spent the last since the the um the show uh, went off air i've spent the last 12 years um coaching my son's rugby club and um you know it's that sort of involvement um that that, that brings kids to a sport that they go down every sunday and and there's some amazing people out there that have just giving up so much of their time to do exactly that but without the financial support without the other backing and, and without the sort of real central drive to get the sport into the schools you know i, I think it's a it's always going to be a massively uphill struggle um and you know you just got to hope that as, as josh quite rightly said one you need a major financial backer two maybe you know mlb to take a different approach to what they're trying to do in terms of Europe, in terms of their investment. But it is, you know, it's a lot of money in a world where money is short at the moment. So 
just add one quick thing to what Johnny was saying. I think that being on Freeview is huge for the game because if you love baseball, you can go on to MLB TV. You can spend the dosh to watch it on BT. But what you need is an opportunity for people to happen upon baseball who aren't already fans. And that was what our show offered, which was you come up from the pub, you're a little tipsy, you turn on the television and you're mesmerized by this game that you may not have seen before and you get hooked and that is such an essential piece is giving a a taste of it to people a a free taste uh in order to get them interested for the long haul yeah 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 Uh, eric anything else i'd add to that no the guys said it eloquently more than i ever could (laughs) yeah do you think that the uh, london series will come back next year with it being cancelled this year or do you think it'll move on to to somewhere else have you uh, I've not heard anything. I don't know if you have, Josh, but I would. I'd be. I can't believe they wouldn't want to bring it back, given the success of last year. I, I think there's just so much up in the air right now. I can't imagine that this is high on their agenda of to do issues when they're trying to get off a, a season under these circumstances. So my guess is that it's something that they'll address at a later point. Yeah. But they can't wait too long, obviously, because even though they probably have a sense of how to do it, uh, they probably have to get quite a bit in place to make it happen. Yeah, it's a shame because it's because uh, I, I I can't foresee, and this is only my own opinion. I, I don't want to jinx it as well, but I I can't foresee even London Series twenty twenty one happening at this juncture. But you never know. You've always been a pessimist. No, no not high. <laughs> That's why you're a West Ham fan. Come <laughs> uh, from the Ministry of Baseball. Uh, he said he was born post Channel Five era. So in order to get him and others of the younger generation speed, his question is, pitch the show to the listeners, Dragon Den style, the brief history and what were the ambitions and the successes? I think that's referring back to the MLB on five. Pitch it Dragon's Den style. Hmm. Wow. His question, not mine. (laughs) If you could see Johnny's Hawaiian bra- Hawaiian style brave shirt right now, you would put down your money immediately. I gotta say, <laughs> I could I could hear Peter Jones. I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> I haven't even made my pitch. What are you saying? Yeah. yeah. Hey, at the end of the day, um, if you truly love baseball, then you know you can't get enough of it, whether it be watching games or or listening to podcasts. And uh, we are guaranteed that we're going to have loads of fun. We're going to have loads of laughs. We're going to tip our hats to the past. Uh, but at the end of the day, we've got the best pundit in uh, in baseball. And I and I consider that to be not just in the UK, but in the US as well. Uh, a man who can translate the, the intricacies of the game to the idiots like me and to the purists and the and the well-informed um, and, and, and educate in the process as well as entertain. Education and entertainment with a double E's. Sounds like a bra. There you go. That's my pitch. <laughs> the, the producer of the show, would, would you like to weigh in on, on any of that? Yeah, actually, uh, I would actually, because um, I, I th- it is a tricky one. It's always been a tricky one trying to convert preaching the gospel of baseball to those who don't know anything about it or those it's not part of their social fabric or upbringing. Uh, but I like to think that we've actually already started the uh, little bit of a social fabric. Yes, there are people who were born uh, who are 10 years old and went off here who probably didn't watch us. We're now 20, 22, 20 and, and ongoing. Uh, but if you know, if you want, if if you want to be well informed, and and we will guarantee that we will be entertaining as well as informative. 
as well as we shall guarantee some pretty kick-ass guests in the future. Uh, I just put, I, and, uh, I know I just uh, I just committed myself there, didn't I? Uh, <laughs> but also, if you if you want to know which book to read, which film to watch, which hot dog to avoid in Major League Baseball at out of the thirty stadiums, you talk to us. Josh, anything to add on top of that? Just the game has changed a lot in the last 12 years. And I think that's what's so exciting to me is to pick up that slack. I mean, whether it's uh, the way analytics are approached, uh, the way teams have chosen to work their bullpen, uh, which will change this year yet again, uh, or their starting rotations. I mean, there's no such thing as an opener. No one talked about launch angle. The game or spin rate and all these different facets of the game I think are going to be very exciting, not only for the old, but for people who are now new to the game and want to understand it in a more holistic sense, you know, to understand what, what's it like to have the dirt between your teeth when you're digging in to, you know, having a bat and also what it means to, you know, try and throw a backdoor slider. So hopefully that's what I can bring to the table. Uh, Molly from Bristol Baseball, she's on the directors there. She's asked, what are your thoughts surrounding women's baseball? Because the GB team has just been announced. And also, what makes now the right time to bring your podcast out? Well, I'll, I'll talk to the first bit, and I'll let either Johnny or Eric talk to about the timing. But I can't tell you how excited I am that uh, GB has chosen to start a, a women's program. I Seriously, I tip my hat to the people who are putting that together. And I am just so thrilled because there's this very incorrect assumption that, uh, you know, the women's sport is fast pitch softball and the men's sport is baseball. It doesn't have to be that way. Historically, there are great precedents going back to the start of the 20th century of incredible Babe Diedrichson playing baseball. Uh, and that there is an infrastructure worldwide for women's baseball, but I do feel that Great Britain is enough of an early adopter here that they can really make a mark in this area of baseball and I'm so excited to see how it will play out I'm so excited and I will be a huge fan for for both the domestic women's baseball program and also uh, at the national level yeah some of the players are involved in it that I've spoken to passion it's amazing and I'm, like you said it's really exciting time really exciting time and, all, and to be honest Matt all I want to add to that is I mean it's the perfect timing for it isn't it I mean at the end of the day you know women's sports going through the long overdue revolution uh, in this country and, and across the world and why should baseball not be a part of that process I mean it's an absolute nonsense to think otherwise so uh, and I'm thrilled I'm thrilled to hear that Molly is a local to me because I live in Bath and she's just down the road in Bristol so there's something that I could definitely check out so now we're 100% behind it um, and obviously, we'll be looking to people like Molly to to keep us well informed. Yeah, I like to, I like to echo the praise for the w women's uh, program here in the in GB. Uh, I've worked closely with them in the past, and and they don't get enough credit or they don't get enough exposure that they some some of these GB women go on to NCAA. They get accepted to universities and colleges and. And uh, and they dominate in Europe. They've had some very successful tournaments in, in the past few years, and uh, it just unfortunately they're, they're not getting the exposure that's required of them. And hopefully, we can help out with that. Well, that, that of course is fast pitch softball, and I think that that will continue to be you know a very vibrant part of the overall setup. But playing hardball as well too, that that opportunity is there. I had a really good friend uh, growing up who was a softball player. Um, 
a, a female softball player who always lamented that just her opportunities for baseball dried up at a, a too young an age. And she was right. It, and it was inappropriate. And I'm really happy that we're seeing a change uh, from that front. Lovely. Uh, Adam, um, Adam underscore G underscore W, uh, question for Josh. Is there currently a cap on the number of overseas players that can play for Team GB? And if not, are you in favour of wanting to give more homegrown kids the chance to represent their country, even if it means not playing to a higher standard? This is one of the biggest questions that has surrounded the Great Britain national team since I first played for it in 1996. And it's one that actually isn't just GB related, really applies to all of Europe. There is no cap on people like me who are passport holders. You have to have a passport. We're passport holders, but maybe we didn't learn their baseball in Great Britain. It's certainly a balancing act because on the one hand, you want to place the best British team you can possibly place in international competition. On the other hand, you need to give avenues for young born and bred British players to develop and get better. And so I do believe that you need to find a balance. I can't tell you what exactly that is, but it's been a hard one. When I first played for GB in 96, I was one of only two players who were like me. The whole rest of the team, the other 18 players or however many they were, were all born and bred. By the time I played on the national team the last time in 2005, the vast majority were people like me. And when you look at things like the World Baseball Classic, we have weighed very heavily in the direction of people who have passports who have played elsewhere. And perhaps for the major events, that's okay. I think one of the ways in which the GB setup is trying to kind of bridge that gap are like under 23 teams, where really the effort is to put the emphasis on local players to get to play there so that you're playing at a reasonable international grade, but still leaving your top senior team to have just the best players possible. So I think an answer of having many different age group teams is, is a huge part of that. Yeah. I've had quite a lot of the, the GB guys on uh, Liam, um, A-Rod and Jonathan and Drew, and all of them are, are doing like, if you should go back and listen to some of those episodes, uh, if, if you want to see what they're trying to do within the local communities and, and trying to get baseball grown as well. It's uh, something that they're very passionate. Just to add on that too, I think one of the really great elements about the national setup right now is that people like Liam Carroll, like Will Linterm, like Jonathan Cramman, all are British born and bred and they're running the program. When I first started, there were a lot of import coaches. So the national team coach was a guy named Ralph Rago who had coached at UC Davis in the US. Uh, Stefan Rapalia, who's a great coach, but was, was a, a US born and raised person. The fact that you have people now who really understand the domestic game is essential and valuable in making that particular calculation as many local versus how many uh, overseas players you have. Um, the author of Conflict, um, Ryan Ferguson, who was on the show the other week, has asked, who were the most famous viewers or people who emailed or contacted the old Channel 5 show? <laughs> he was. <laughs> <laughs> That's why Ryan's asking the question. Um, Ryan was one of our regular, regular top boy. And he was, he was young, wasn't he, Josh? I mean, yeah. when he first started... Um, I mean, if I remember rightly, he was watching the show without his parents knowing. I think he was. He still seems the... young. Yeah. I, I saw him at the the London series. I'm like, you still look young. He's aging. Wow. 
but he i mean he really was probably what 14 15 when he was watching the show and i think yeah. he was literally watching it under his duvet without his parents knowing so we were basically encouraging delinquency which uh, possibly wasn't our intention but no ryan was a top boy he used to email in all the time um we had a number of probably the number one for me was uh, was my good friend Mike Dowling, who was uh, always referred to himself as the UK's number one Giants fan. Um, and I met Mike for the first time at the London series, having communicated with him by text and Facebook for 10, 12 years plus. Um, and yet we'd never met and we finally got to meet, which was great, which was top. But we had, we had loads. We? We, we, uh, we were very lucky to have great support in the media. Uh, Johnny alluded to his fantasy baseball playing and a lot of the members of that league were media members. So uh, Keith Blackmore, who's a fantastic person, used to run uh, the Times of London. Uh, Alan McKinley, who's a sports writer for uh, The Mirror. He's more than uh, that, JC. He's deputy yeah. editor of the sports. Su su super muckety-muck now of sports there. Uh, yeah. There were a number of, of people in the media who love baseball and uh, supported it, I think, were amongst sort of the you know, yeah. Uh, Alan was a big supporter, but we, you know, we've had loads of uh, freelance support. Nick Schapanik is a football reporter with uh, a lot of, I think, freelance with the Times. Ivan Speck, he used to work predominantly, I think it was tennis with the Mail. And they're all massive, massive baseball fans. We've, we've known the boys for years um, playing fantasy baseball with them, and they've all been very supportive. But I think probably the two names you mentioned first, Keith and, and, and Alan, were the, were the biggest supporters. Not really celebrities, but celebrities in our heart. Yeah. <laughs> Lovely. Uh, Chris Atkins, who's the manager of the Birmingham Bandits, he, he's asked, with countries like Italy or the Netherlands leading the, way, leading the way in terms of European baseball, do you think there's room for Great Britain? And how should we forge our own identity in terms of playing style uh, in brackets in order to hopefully fill the void of British major? I think there's absolutely room. And in fact, to the, the premise that you're talking about Italy and Netherlands, actually the countries that are developing at the fastest rate are countries like the Czech Republic and Germany. So they sort of show the way on how to get better. And when you look at both those countries, if you go there, you can do a stadium tour in either of those two countries and go to proper baseball stadiums with proper stands, uh, even better than Farnham. Farnham's a great playing facility, but these are stadiums. And I think that the more that we're able to build those sort of stadiums again and get players excited about playing, there is nothing, I mean, as a guy who, my high school field was terrible. And I remember going off to college to a 3,000 uh, seat stadium and playing there. And it just elevated my spirits about playing. Uh, the opportunity to play in big stadiums can really motivate players to, to work at their game. So I think that that's a huge part of it is developing the infrastructure, as we said before. Awesome. Uh, Paul Vernon, a question for Josh. What do you remember about the Bracknell British Championship team and the finals from 2009? I have very fond memories of, of that team. Uh, that was my last year playing uh, if, in the British uh, Domestic League. And it was the only championship that, that Bracknell ever had. And it was really meaningful for me because uh, the first year I played in the British League was 2002. And at that point, there were a lot of really young kids on that team. Uh, the Trask brothers, uh, Ryan and Michael Trask, Phil Matthews, Matt Maitland, uh, Henry Collins. And these guys were so young. Now fast forward, and I switched teams over that period to help start the London Mets uh, senior program, had some success <laughs> went back, went back uh, to play in my final year uh, for them, and 
to see those guys grow up and develop. We talked, Matt, we were talking about development and these guys all developed a tremendous amount over that seven year period. And for them to reach the pinnacle, win a national championship, and we were not the favorite team that year. It was so gratifying. And I mean, on a personal level, I went five for five in the championship game. Uh, and that was my last game in Great Britain. So to have such a great outing, win a championship, go five for five, it was the ultimate drop the mic moment for me. Nice. And you weren't hit by a single pitch, were you, Jason? I was. I actually was Are five you... for five and I had a hit by pitch. So I got six ABs in that game. We ended up I remember winning. you telling me that was the only way you used to get on base when you were playing uh, minor oh, league. Oh, when the count was 0-2, Goldie, I, I just I, – my elbow. elbow just, I remember facing Rob Cordemans, who's one of the greatest pitchers in European baseball history, and he got me 0-2. He was trying to throw uh, like a slider in on me, and I put out my back leg, okay? Like it was that far in, and I stuck it out, got hit by a pitch. And I remember the Dutch catchers, this is the European champion, say, this guy just totally leaned in the ball, and I just kept jogging. I was on first base. <laughs> uh, Tom Pringle from Backflipping Nerds. Um, did you ever so. consider, yeah, did you ever consider calling the pod J squared? <laughs> As in reference to being two Johnnies. Uh, Johnny and Josh, sorry. Sorry, mate. Can you repeat that again? He said, uh, did you ever consider calling the podcast J-squared? So we, Johnny and Josh, the two Js. We are squares. I mean, we are well, kind of... Well, looking at our heads, they are very square. Yeah. <laughs> looking at our dress sets, we are very square. I think yes. it would have been too painful and too close to home. Yes. We'd wake up in cold still... sweats thinking about the name of our podcast. Yeah. But we're actually going to rename it anyway because it's going to be Johnny and Josh, and then in brackets, oh yeah, and that producer guy. What's his name? He wears a he wears a, he wears a tiger's hat all the time. <laughs> you don't have to get some flack, Eric. I, I don't know. No, I'm just yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I'm calloused. <laughs> <laughs> the amazing artist uh, Andy Brown has asked. Oh, here we go. How did Josh get into curling, and what do you enjoy about the game? And also, are there any transferable skills and similarities in baseball and curling? Okay, I'm like about to pop out of my seat because I'm so excited. First off, because Andy Brown is an amazing artist. Uh, the work he does, if your listeners haven't looked at his work and he's gone around and seen more baseball stadiums and painted them more gloriously than anyone out there. So I'm a huge fan of Andy's. Um, I didn't ask him to give that question, though I love curling. So uh, I had to retire from baseball. I had uh, two knee surgeries uh, and... 2016 was the final time I played baseball. I got to actually represent Great Britain as a member of the Southampton Mustangs uh, at a European Cup competition. Got a line drive base hit on my last AB and then just hung up the spike. So I was looking for a lifetime sport, something that I could do uh, moving forward. And I live in Denver, Colorado now, and they have a great facility that they were just opening up. So I was like, okay, I'm going to take it up. And my goal was just to be a reasonable club player where someone's like, okay, I, I can have Josh on my team. But got really lucky that I ended up uh, teaming up with three other players who were vastly better than I was. And um, we actually went on a run and made it to the U.S. National Championships, finished ninth in the U.S. We lost on the final throw to the U.S., the team that would end up representing the U.S. in the Olympics uh, that year in 2017, I guess, and won the gold medal. So we took the gold medalist to the final, our final throw. Uh, I love the sport beyond words. And what I love about it is that there are four players on each team, and each of them play a role in every single play. 
So you have the two sweepers who are communicating, also sweeping. You have the person who's holding the broom, who's determining line, and then the person throwing. And all of them are doing something. And that, to me, is very unique in sports. That level of communication requires the type of chemistry that you need for a show like this. Um, but what I love about it also is that it is a great cardio sport. Uh, sweeping is really difficult. And so even though my body is broken, I can handle it enough uh, to be able to get a, a proper workout. It's, it's very different than baseball, but there are certain elements that are the same. I'd say most notably is the, the tactical and strategic element. What I loved about baseball is I play catcher and you have to really create a, a pitch progression with your pitchers for every single batter. So you have to know, you know, what the batter's weaknesses are, what their tendencies are. You have to know what your pitcher strengths are. And then for every at bat, you are literally creating a progression of pitches. You're not thinking about just the pitch that you're throwing. You're thinking, okay, is that going to set up what I'm going to throw next? Am, am I going to throw later in the count? And it's very similar in curling in terms of the throws that you make. And so I love that connection to the intellectual part of the game. Awesome. Uh, Johnny and Eric. Just to simplify that like... whole situation, Matt, uh, to really simplify that, at the end of the day, any sport that allowed a broken body to perform at the highest level and it involved a broom, JC was in there. The man is anal. He loves to sweep. End of story. Seriously, cool. I thought you would love it. Sweeping, cleanliness. I yes, am so OCD. jealous. I am OCD. so jealous. <laughs> but yeah, but see, the thing is, is, is derogatory comments about the sport of curling that uh, that we don't appreciate, do we, Josh? It's a. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I'm uh, loving derogatory. It's, I'm loving uh, curling. But, but Gouldy, it's it's you should know better, right? Because it's like saying baseball's glorified grounders it just really reflects your ignorance, right? <laughs> Anyone who, who, who mocks a sport that they don't really know. I'm not mocking the sport. I'm mocking you. You seem to be missing the question here. I'm just talking about your love of a broom. I'm not, I'm not uh, dishing the sport of curling. But I love any, curling. Anyways. But, but, Olympic curling fan. I can't believe you took the Olympic champions. Yeah, the greatest bunch of guys too, by the way, John Schuster and his rank. When we made it to the Nationals, we were like kind of the odd man out of the, the you had to go through like a huge qualifying process and we, it was a Cinderella story and they were the first people to come up to us and shake our hands and say, congratulations on making it here. You really deserve it. And there were a lot of other that weren't like that. Curling has that ethos that it's called the curling spirit about like really being a uh, sportsman. So I love that element too. I could talk about curling all day and I know that's not. So could I. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing is the you know, last thing I'll say about curling because this is a baseball podcast um, is that working on it as much as, cause I also work on, on the winter Olympics as well for the BBC and I'm always in charge of curling and hockey but mostly curling because not many people here appreciate the sport or know the nuances of a sport who work in, in sport. And I know all the, all the curlers, from, uh, of course, the, all the GB curlers are from Scotland. I know them all, Eve Muirhead, David Murdoch, and uh, they are a wonderful bunch of people. And it's, it's just a shame that only every, once every four years it's a popular sport. Then people forget all about it until next Winter Olympics. And that's my end rant about curling on this baseball but to, podcast. But to come full circle, one of the reasons that uh, we bought a flat in Perth is because the World Curling Federation is there. Kinross Curling Club, the oldest curling club, is quite close yeah, by. Yeah, we have the Doers Arena. So, so when it comes time to totally shut it down, I am going and, and, and curling in Perth. So. So we, so Matt, as you can see, this podcast we're going to be doing is meant to be a baseball one, but I can guarantee. <laughs> I know. We're, we're already a Approaching the hour or two about this, we got to curly now. So continue. Thank you, Andy Brown, for giving me my one moment. We can now return to baseball. I'd, I'd watch it. I'd listen place, to it. If, if you guys did a curling podcast, I think you'd have that much. You'd, you'd, you'd have some it. 
How many, not very many curling movies or books that I can plug those. So Men with Brooms, starring Man Leslie Nielsen. One. One. Yeah, Leslie exactly. Nielsen of Airplane Flame was in a curly movie. Was that the title of the movie? Man with yes. Broom. Man with Brooms. Okay, now let's with go back to baseball. Let's go back to baseball. Yeah, we digress. Yeah. That's going on my list. After I watched that movie that Johnny was in back in the day, I think I'll... Uh... Queen, of, Queen of the Jungle. Did you get cut out, Gouldy? I thought you were uh, left on the cutting room floor. Look, mate, it's bad enough I got edited out, but Time Out magazine called it the worst film in cinematography history. How do you think I feel not being good enough for the worst film ever made? But, Gouldy, if you hadn't been edited out, it would have been the third worst film ever made. <laughs> you never knew your potential. Hey, I'm a great believer. I don't believe in mid-table mediocrity. I'm either going to be the best or the worst. That's all I'm interested in. Jonathan Kremen from the London Mets and Great Britain national team. He would like to ask Josh, how much were you panicking on the broadcast 2007, the day the Mets won their first NLB, uh, NBL? Oh, that, that brings me back. First, uh, shout out to Jonathan Kremen, a great baseball guy. Uh, just absolutely bleeds the sport. Uh, I knew him when he was a young teenager. He's now a full-fledged adult uh, and a really just great baseball guy. So what he was alluding to was in 2007 was the year we created the London Mets senior team. And we went on a real Cinderella run. We were not the best team in the league. We weren't even the second best team in that league. And uh, the best team were the Corden uh, Pirates. They had gone undefeated throughout the whole season. And we were able to get into the playoffs, uh, win a semifinal game against Liverpool, which had one of the best pitchers in British baseball, a guy named Martin Godsell. We were able to just beat them in a really tight game. And then we won a best two out of three final against Croydon winning two straight. And so it was just a shocking uh, championship. And I stupidly, because I didn't know whether we'd have a chance. And I was the player manager of the team. I said, look guys, if we win this, I'll bring you, I'll bring you over to, to the show um, when we're, uh, you know, filming it so that we can, you know, we can fully celebrate. So everyone held me to that. We went to, there was a great curry place right across the street of the book, Johnny, I'm sure Eric remember right across the street from uh, the studios. We went, we ate a lot. They drank a lot. I mean, these guys, you know, you win a, you win a national championship and you know, you're going to celebrate. They're drinking out of the cup. I mean, it is sloppy. So I bring them over and I'm scared to death. You know, I've been doing this show for a while, but you know, I, I don't want to lose it that night. And they all come out. And uh, I remember I, we were doing a, a pre-tape. I was talking about Coors Field and they're like heckling me from behind. And uh, thankfully they were able to keep it together and it wasn't too bad, uh, but it was, uh, it was a scary proposition, but very memorable uh, for many reasons that night. I've got one last question. This comes from um, British Baseball Podcast superfan, a uh, Johnny Gould. Uh, he has asked, uh, Josh, is it true that Jonathan Gould recently whooped you in a season of fantasy baseball? Uh, I, I don't pay enough attention to properly know, to be honest. <laughs> Gouldie just lives and dies by this stuff. I draft a team and then we'll occasionally pop in because I actually do other things with my life. But Gouldy, if you did win, I'm so happy for you. You need this, buddy. You need it. And, uh, so the answer they, is yes, Matt. <laughs> you didn't the, just, I didn't beat it. I, I was in front of him for the whole season, for all 162 games. <laughs> That's all you need. Uh, Gouldy, how many times did you win the big fantasy league? 
Okay. I, and how, I have okay, and I failed. Always, I, this, right, this and we're and supposed to say wrap it up, Matt, because the guys, yeah, gonna, and, these and, guys will go on for hours about fantasy I, I just baseball. Gotta, just, so we had one fantasy league with this really fancy trophy, and I was only in it till I moved back to the States. So I don't think I was only in it six years. I won it twice. Gouldy has been in it for like 18 years, and he's never won it. I haven't even come second. Third's the best so, I've done. So, Gouldy, Gouldy, this hand right here, you shut it. You're only as good as your last championship, big <laughs> guy. And the uh, same, same, uh, same listener has also asked a question to Eric. Is it true that you only remove your baseball cap to take a shower? Uh, at funerals as well. Uh, and weddings. Not bar mitzvahs, though. Not bar mitzvahs. Hats bar mitzvahs. Yeah, he's a keeper, right? So. He has a special hat for his wedding. It's a white one. Exactly. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, gentlemen, that brings us to the end of, of, the, of the recording and the, the uh, conversation. I've had an absolute blast. I really can't wait to hear what, what the show show itself. Again, thank you so much for agreeing to come on and, and talk. Um, I always like to leave the final word open to the guests. So, Eric, I'll, uh, I'll leave it to you. Any shout-outs, any recommendations, any, um, any parting words? No, no, actually, I want to say thank you very much for it because I want to say thank you to Matt because this is a good dress rehearsal for what's about to come up with our podcast. And now I just know we're, we're, I'm going to have to ring in these guys even more. It's going to bring back to the dark days of me yelling to their earpieces. But uh, this has been a very good litmus test for what's to come. No problem. Always, always the bridesmaid, never the bride. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll take being in practice any day of the week. <laughs> uh, oh, your podcast is important too. Oh, thank you. That means a lot. Uh, Johnny? Any, anything from yourself? Well, Matt, first of all, thank you to you and to your listeners for having us on. We've, uh, we've loved it. It's always, uh, it's always a pleasure. Um, and uh, obviously, re-read the podcast that we're doing. We're looking forward to uh, hopefully um, having the company of everyone that listens in with you guys as well. And uh, I think the, the information is now out in terms of the format or the portals or words that I don't understand uh, in terms of gaining access. So we really hope that everybody will, will tune in and join us. Um, a huge thanks to you, mate. I mean, I know you wanted us to choose some questions questions as well i've got a few suggestions about the two best questions who are going to win joel's very kind um i definitely want to give molly in bristol one uh, just only because she's my neighbor and she's driving women's baseball forward good on you molly um i was looking at some of the others there's some absolutely disgraceful ones andy the artist who clearly didn't ask the question he just just wanted to talk early <laughs> so andy i'm afraid you haven't won um but i think probably ian bleach who asked a couple of questions right in the top and i particularly enjoyed answering because uh, it was one of the few questions uh, that we had from the listeners uh, that actually asked Eric and I anything because everyone just wanted to talk to Josh. So for that reason alone, Ian, you're a legend. Ian Bleach, you're my second winning questionnaire. So that's it from me. Thank you, guys. I'll hand you back to the legend that is Mr. Josh Chetwin. Josh, yeah, Matt, that, Josh. Thank you so much. Uh, again, you know, you've had me on twice. So your patience is of a, a quality that probably surpasses most human beings. But... <laughs> This show is great. I'm so grateful for anyone who does podcasts, anyone in the British baseball community who's reaching out and trying to press force with the gospel of, of baseball in the UK. Uh, you all do God's work. So thank you so much for that. And as Goldie mentioned, you can find us uh, on 
various social media platforms. If you go on Facebook, it's the Josh and or the Josh. I'm already trying to take top belly. The Johnny <laughs> and Josh show. Uh, we have a group there. Uh, please find us on Twitter at Johnny and Josh or Instagram at Johnny and Josh. And if you go to any of those places, you can find we've now posted our trailer. So you can find that there. And uh, we would love to just help expand the community. I mean, that's all we're trying to do is just be yet another voice trying to help uh, talk baseball amongst the British audience and, and continue to move forward. Awesome. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen. That's perfect. And uh, all the best with the show. I'll make sure that I post all the links where I can within the show notes and uh, we'll be hearing from you very soon. Thank you, Matt. Best of luck with your podcast for the future, buddy. Cheers very Thanks, much. Matt. Be the man. <laughs>